get started this morning. As I mentioned last week, um, we are beginning a, a new series, and it's going to be uh, a somewhat lengthy series. It'll take probably uh, three months worth of time. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through basically the marks of a healthy church. Um, one of uh, ministries that I that I support and that um, I have been um, that I have received much from is called Nine Marks, and and it comes from a book called um, or pamphlet really originally that was Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Well, there's actually twelve books that they have in this series, um, Building Healthy Churches series, and so. What I'm going to do is basically just go through a book a week, and so I'm not going to preach from the book or preach the ideas in the book, but there will be some correlations. And so I would encourage you, as we look at this morning and we focus on the gospel, as we begin this series, and uh, really I kind of tailor it to our um, what you see on our logo is the gospel community mission. That's what we're going to do the first three weeks is gospel community mission. So this morning is the gospel, and so they have a book, and it's called The Gospel. And so I would encourage you to get a copy. There is one over there, and I'm probably going to get a few more of each of the books in the series. I would encourage you to pick one up. They're short, which is awesome. Um, if you're not one to get bogged down by a 300-page book, um, they're only about 100 pages, and clearly they're not very large. And so the pages are small. So I'd encourage you to get um, a copy of the book if you want to. Um, I've, I actually only got halfway through this book this week, um, but I'm going to try to read each of the books every week um, and glean some things from them as we go through a passage. And so I'm still going to go through a passage of Scripture. I'm just going to jump around from here to there, Old Testament, New Testament. I'm not going to be going through a book like we did for Hebrews. So a little bit of a break as we start. So just kind of the intro into where my mind's at, and where we are headed overall over the next couple months. As we look at the gospel, the question we have, and you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. And the question that we have before us is, why is the gospel important? It's been a buzzword um, over the last you know, decade or two, especially in uh, evangelical circles, the gospel. Uh, clearly, we think it important enough to have put on our logo um, and tried to encourage it in everything that we do is proclaim the gospel. Why, why is the gospel important? Why is proclaiming the gospel important? Why is it central to who we are as the Vine Church? Why is it central to who we are as Christians? And so that's some of what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning as Paul writes to the church in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we will be reminded of why the gospel is important and what the gospel is. So 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, 
because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So as we look at this idea of why the gospel is so important, um, Paul, as we look back at verse 1, says, Now I would remind you. Now he's doing this because there is a problem with the people of this church where they were looking at themselves as better than they really were. They were seeing themselves as higher up on the pedestal than they should have seen themselves. They considered themselves of more worth and value than they should have. They did not put themselves in proper perspective. And so what Paul is beginning to do is saying, now look, let me remind you that you don't know everything and that you don't act in the way that you should all the time. Now let me just kind of, you know, poke you a little bit in that regard and poke you for a purpose, remind you for a purpose. I would remind you, brothers, and it's not just brothers, but it's brothers and sisters. You see, when we, when we look at the gospel, when we think about the gospel, this is what makes us a family. The gospel is what makes us a family. It makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. It unites us. And you cannot be a true part of the community if you do not believe the gospel. You cannot be a part of the community of believers if you yourself do not believe the gospel. You are not one of God's children just because you exist as a human on this earth. You are God's child when you believe the gospel, when you submit yourself to Him. And so what we do as a church, as the Vine Church, we recognize people, we recognize as members those who identify themselves with Christ through the gospel. They have received the gospel, and they stand in that gospel. I mean, look there, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. So we receive the gospel, and we stand in that gospel. We hold fast to the truth that our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And you have to belong to God in order to be able to state that truth. The gospel is what has brought us into belonging with God. You are not your own when you realize, when you recognize, cognitively and volitionally, big word alert, when with your will, when with all of who I am, I decide, I say, I understand the truth of the gospel and I submit myself to that. Not just I understand it with my mind, but with my heart, with all of who I am and what I represent, I put myself under the authority of the truth of that and what that means for my life from here on out. And so you can't belong to God if you don't say, if you don't know if you don't submit yourself to the truth of the gospel. And so what Paul does is he reminds us of what the gospel is that he preached. And so he says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So this is a great thing that Paul does so often. And, And we see this throughout this passage of Scripture that we have in this letter. Paul, from the beginning, 
make sure to note that this is not just the truth that he knows because he's so awesome and because he is so much better than the rest of everyone else. But he acknowledges himself that he has received this. Look again at verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul does not know these things. Paul does not understand these things just because he is the best, because he is smarter than everyone else, because he's the best Jew that ever lived. He is saying, I only know these things because I also have received them. He hasn't earned them in the same way that we can't earn them. We can't earn salvation any more than Paul earned salvation. He didn't, and we can't. He received the truth of this word, and we then received the truth of this word. How do we receive the truth of this word? We receive the truth of this word by it being delivered to us. That's what he says in verse 3, for I delivered to you. Well, how do you deliver something? By proclaiming it. Why is proclaiming the gospel so important? It's because it's how we receive. If you can't earn your salvation, then you have to receive it. And you can't receive it unless there's someone who is telling you about it, unless there's someone who brings it to you. You can't receive a gift that doesn't exist in front of you. I can't open up a package underneath the Christmas tree if someone didn't put a package underneath the Christmas tree. And, you know, I mean, just in case you're wondering, it probably wasn't Santa. So the <laughs> shout out to parents um so what is going on is paul wants to be clear that he himself has received the gospel just in the same way that he delivers it to the people that he has ministered to so that they also might receive it and he does this by proclaiming it by preaching it for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. And so what is what is the basic what are some of the basic truths of the gospel? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. So they're they're basically four fundamental truths about the life of Jesus Christ that we must recognize that Christ died. And not just that Christ died, but that he died for a purpose. He died with having accomplished something, accomplishing something through his life and then through his death, that Christ died for our sins. What comes along with the gospel is the realization that I am a sinner. That in all things, I choose my own way over and above God's way. I'm a sinner. What sin is most fundamentally is God has a certain way that he has programmed this world, so to speak. That he has set this world to live, to act. He has put humans on this earth to do particular things and to abstain from particular things. And so what we have done as humans is we have said, the things that God doesn't want me to do, I like doing those things, and so I'm going to do them. And then the things that God does want me to do, I say, I don't want, to, I don't want that responsibility on me. I, 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 can't, I can't hold that, the weight of those expectations on my shoulders, and so I'm just not going to do them. That's what sin basically is. It is us saying, God... No thanks. 
I, I realize, I recognize who you are and what you've done and what you require of me, and I, I don't care, I can't do it. And in many ways, I don't want to do it. That, that's what we say with our words and with our actions over and over again. That's what sin is. And so God being holy and just, God being part of this world and saying, this is not right, and, and sin brings with it judgment. He's saying, I, I've got to put this judgment on something. And so the two options now that we have, when we are given the gospel message, the two options that we have are to say, I can pay for my sin in hell, or I can recognize that Jesus has paid the price for my sin on that cross, that he died for my sin, that he died for our sin on the cross, that through his death, he has paid the penalty that I could not pay. He has died the death that I deserved. And in that, he has given me the life that I could never earn myself. This is what we believe, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And so particularly, he's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament foreshadowed, it, it paved the way, it helped us to see and to recognize who Christ was and why it was so important that he came and how he came and what he did. That he died. And so the second thing was that he was buried. To show that he actually was dead, they buried him. He was in a borrowed tomb for days. The next thing was that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And this is the important thing. As we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, the whole idea of this chapter that Paul is writing as part of this letter to this church is that some did not believe anymore or were being persuaded to not believe that the resurrection actually happened. And so if you read the rest of the chapter, not right now, even though I know you're, um, you know, um, <laughs> you're, uh, what's the word? Um, tempted to while I preach, um, you know, and there are worse things, I guess, than reading God's word um, while a preacher is preaching. But if you read the rest of the chapter later on in the day, you'll see how he just talks about the resurrection and the importance of it and how if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're most of all to be pitied. If the resurrection didn't happen, then all of what we're proclaiming means nothing. And so what he's saying is that he was raised on the third day and that this also was in accordance with the scriptures. We, this is not an uncommon idea when you look at what God has revealed to his people in history. They should have been expecting this, that he was raised on the third day. And to show that he actually was raised from the dead, to give proof, he showed himself. And that's what it says, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. So he appeared to the apostles. But he didn't just appear to the apostles. He didn't just appear to a handful of guys. He appeared to like 500 guys. Verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 
most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So just in case these believers weren't sure that they could believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, Paul is reminding them that, look, you can go and talk to the people that saw Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and now risen. They saw him risen from the dead. There were hundreds and hundreds of people who saw Jesus Christ alive after he had died. And this is important for us to recognize because we're not believing a truth that can't be substantiated. We're not believing a truth in the gospel message that hasn't been substantiated in history. We can believe because there has been proof. We're not told to believe in faith off a whim and something that may or may not be true that hasn't been proven. But God, being gracious to us, even 2,000 years later, we have recorded for us the fact that Jesus appeared not just to his immediate followers, but then to hundreds of people. And so how can we know that this gospel is true? We can know that this gospel is true because he was raised from the dead and people could attest to that because they saw him with their own eyes. It wasn't just the fanatical disciples that followed him around for years and then wanted to believe the truths that he had proclaimed. It's those that could no longer deny the fact that what he said he was going to do, he actually did. And if he did that, then what other realistic option do we have other than to believe that he was who he said he was and that he did what he said he was going to do? And he didn't just appear to all of those people. You see, when I mentioned before that Paul received this message himself, the message that Paul received himself wasn't from one of the apostles. The message that Paul received himself wasn't from somebody other than Christ himself. And that's what he says. In verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So Paul himself received this message not from the apostles, not from a first-hand source. He received it from the source itself. He received this message from Jesus Christ himself. And so why can we trust Paul? Why could this church in Corinth trust Paul? Because Paul himself had seen Christ, had encountered Christ, had gained this truth from Christ himself, which is why then he was able to be called an apostle. And Paul does not want to make a big deal out of the fact that look at how great then I am because I was privileged to encounter Christ physically, personally. But he says, look, I didn't deserve to see him. I didn't deserve to receive this message. This was the grace of God toward me. I I am the least worthy to be called an apostle because I was one who persecuted the church myself. I didn't want this message to be true. This message... I didn't want to be for me. But he could no longer deny the truth of what was standing before him 
of what was shining a bright light upon him in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, fundamentally, the truth of the gospel is not just facts. It is believing Jesus Christ. It is seeing him for who he really is, for who he said he was, and for who we can know him to be through his word, through the preaching of the gospel by those that have come before us. A few things as we continue to sort of seek this answer is why is the gospel important? Because if we don't, if we don't believe this, what then do you believe? And if we don't preach this, if we don't proclaim the gospel message, then how can, how can we be sure that we are promoting what we should be promoting? What I think is so interesting, look back at verse 3. And this is why as we begin this series, this is why as we have on our logo, that gospel is the first thing. Look at verse 3. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. This is the first thing that defines us. This is who we are known as. We are known as believers in Jesus Christ. We are known as those who have received the gospel. We are known as those who then, as we've received it, we then proclaim it. We are not ashamed of this message because it is the power of God to salvation. We believe this because we see that our lives mean nothing without it. This is what you say when you say that you believe the gospel. You say that my life is meaningless without Him. My life is worthless without Him. My life means nothing without Him. But my life means everything with Him. My life does mean the world because He has shown that He cares for me. He has shown that He loves me. He loved me to the point of being obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so I can look forward to my life now and my life moving forward. You see, as he described it there in the first couple of verses, as we started, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. This is something that in the past you have received. This is something that in the present you are standing in. You are known by the gospel. You are known as a Christian. You are known as one who has submitted himself to God. And then moving forward, you are continuing to be changed by which you are being saved. This doesn't mean that you have to do all these works, that you have to stand in it for so long in order to then become saved. It means that you are being changed, that you have been changed, you have been given God's Spirit when you have come to the point of belief, of submission, of putting yourself under the authority of God, willingly, and saying, I recognize this, I want this, I can't get this any other way. You are the one who has the words of eternal life, and so I submit myself to you. 
And so we stand in that truth, and as we stand in that truth, who we were begins to change. He gives us a new life. And that's the picture that we have of baptism. We're, we're, we're buried, our, our sins are buried with us, and we're raised to new life. We're supposed to walk then in new life. We're supposed to walk in accordance with this new life that we have found. And so we stand in it, and we continue to be changed by it. Our lives should not be the same as they were before. And so that's why we exist as a church, is to proclaim the gospel and to identify those who also believe the gospel, and together then to promote living according to that gospel. Our culture changes. The the culture of this church should be centered around believing this gospel to the point where it affects change in our hearts and in our minds so that our words change, so that our actions change, so that our lives are changed. And so what we do is we encourage each other to not forget the gospel that we received as of first importance. This, the truth of the gospel, believing the gospel, this is not something that is a, a progression that we go away from. We don't go away from the gospel into community, and we don't go away from the gospel into mission. The gospel is what surrounds and infuses everything that we do. So as we live in community, we proclaim the gospel to other believers. As we go out on mission, what is it to be on mission but to proclaim the gospel to those who don't believe? So when we look at who we are as a church, we have to continue to think about the fact that this isn't just something that has happened in the past but this is something that affects change in us now and forevermore. By which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. See, believing in vain here particularly means these Corinthians, some of them, maybe didn't really believe in the resurrection. And for us today, what does it mean to believe in vain? Because there are so many people who it seems from all points that we can tell, there are so many people in this community, in Abingdon, in Washington County, in the Bible Belt, in America, it seems that there are many who have believed but have believed in vain. And how can we know that they've believed in vain? Because their lives have not changed. Because there is nothing different about them. Because this gospel hasn't affected their lives at all, other than for maybe at one point in history for them to have said, oh, I believe that, but their pattern of life has not been any different since then. They might have thought that they were buried to sin and raised to new life, but that new life, for all intents and purposes, has flatlined. There was never even a pulse afterwards. There's a whole bunch of nothing. And so what we are doing here as believers, what we are doing here as a new church in this community is we are proclaiming the fact that we have received this gospel and we want others to know it as well because we have recognized the sweetness of God's grace and mercy toward us because there is nothing like it. There is nothing else like it. 
And we want to portray that as we grow, as inwardly we become different people who have a desire for God's will to be done and not our own. That means something as it works itself out. And our life is so much better. Our life is so much more complete. And one of the reasons why we need to do this thing together, why we need to encourage each other, why next week we're going to talk about community and discipleship. One of the things we do this together is because, you know, I I say that things are sweeter. I, I say that we now have new life and that this life is better than anything else that we've encountered before. That doesn't mean that we don't go through difficult times. I mean, one of the songs that we read, I don't have a sheet up here and I probably should have brought one, right? Every blessing he pours out will turn back to praise. But, but then sometimes the darkness closes in. Sometimes the things that are on the horizon are dark and gloomy. Sometimes the things that, that are coming at us from this world and sometimes the things that are coming at us from our natural selves and our own hearts are wicked. And we, we need the encouragement from other believers to remind us of what the gospel is, of how we are not who we once were. We, we need help. We need the help of the Spirit of God, and we need the help of those around us who also believe this word. And I think sometimes the cares of this world, as Jesus told that parable of the sower, the, the seed is thrown out, and sometimes the riches of this world shut our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Sometimes the cares and concerns of this world shut our eyes to the gospel. And it means for some that an initial belief was really just in vain. It was really all just vanity. It was really just in this moment, this sounds good, but have I really been given new life? Have I really been changed? And so what we want to make sure in all things, the gospel is important because if we leave the gospel, we no longer have a reason to exist as a church. The gospel is important for us because without it, it is pointless for us to be here together. We, we can pat each other on the back and, and we can have a good time and we can laugh and we can joke and we can eat some pastries and, and we can listen to some guy blabber on for, you know, 35 minutes or so. But we wouldn't be any better for it. But we are better for proclaiming the gospel because it is powerful, because it is meaningful because it defines who we are. And that's why Paul says, I delivered it to you as a first importance. And it's what we deliver as a church, as a first importance. It is who we will always be about. And if not, you know, we should just forget this whole membership thing. We should forget the whole trying to exist thing. We should forget, you know, bugging the Moose Lodge and you know, making them let us use this space. They don't, we don't make them let us. They've been so great to us in letting us use this space. But well, why would we even be here? And that's why we're here, is because we do believe it and we will proclaim it and that will define who we are.
And it makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in all things, what I will constantly do, as long as it depends on me and the spirit that God has given to me, is I will remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And I pray that it won't be said of us that we believed in vain. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the privilege, the opportunity we have to come together to worship you. God, help us to be those who hold fast to your word. Help us to be those who preach the word. Help us to be those who proclaim the gospel message with our words in the relationships that we already have and in the new relationships that you have started in our hearts and in our lives. And so we pray for opportunities to proclaim this message with our words. We pray for opportunities to proclaim this message through our actions. And we, when we do this not just for us as individuals, but for us together, for us together as a church, God, would you unite us and unite us around the gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.